Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. You have found the most informative hour of sports radio you'll listen to all week long in the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in this week. In segment three, G2 Strategic CEO Marshall Glickman will join us for this month's Glickman Global segment. Did you know that the teams and not the players pay the sports agents their commissions over in Europe? We're going to discuss that amongst other topics with Marshall in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, NBA Commissioner David Stern. This will be the fourth time in three years I've done this show that Commissioner Stern has joined me. And as I've said many times, there's never been a more accessible commissioner in any sport than Commissioner Stern. I can't wait to catch up with the commissioner about the game ball experiment earlier this season, the future of the league as it relates to China, and I might even discuss a little politics with him. A couple of other notes. Visit our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Email your comments and questions to info at sportsbusinessradio.com. We are podcasting. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Click on the podcast page, and you can have our show downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player every week so you never miss a show. I'm joined, as always, in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, this weekend is the 60th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's first game in Major League Baseball with the Dodgers when he broke the color barrier. Sadly, though... We have a long way to go, as evidenced by several of our headlines in this week's show. Well, yes, we do. And, and sports really is a platform many times for this racial separation. I mean, the Masters was just this weekend, and not long ago, Fuzzy Zeller said some stuff about Tiger Woods along the same lines. So it seems to me it's more apparent in sports than it is anywhere else, you know, in the media. Well, the other thing, this sounds simple. But think before you speak. I am in PR. I media train people all the time. We're sitting right now in front of microphones. It is just, it's incredible to me that someone like Don Imus, who's been in this business for 40 years and who sat in a microphone every day for the last 40 years, didn't think before he spoke. But I guess sometimes people's true feelings and, and true thoughts come out, and his came out. And guess what? This wasn't the first time that his thoughts on racism came out. And ultimately, I thought MSNBC and CBS got it right by firing him. Well, sometimes you just get too comfortable on the air, and you think that you're invincible, and Don Imus obviously is not. Well, he's not at all, and we've got lots of headlines coming up. Very, very busy week in sports business. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. CBS earned a 9.122 preliminary national Nielsen rating for Sunday's final coverage of the Masters. That was up 8.3% from last year and 24% from 2004, the last time the final round of the Masters was played on Easter Sunday. They earned a 5.9 for the Saturday coverage, up 20% from last year. Nathan, interesting components to the Masters this year. First of all, Tiger Woods is in it down the stretch, but he doesn't win it. Zach Johnson, a relative unknown who had only won one tournament previously, walks away with the $1.3 million winner's paycheck. Well, this is the second best thing as far as I'm concerned. If Tiger doesn't win it, you want an underdog like Zach Johnson to come up and win it. Someone that everybody can root for. Nobody's heard about him. Ben Curtis a couple years ago at the British Open. That's the only other way your ratings are going to stay up there if Tiger's not competing for it is if you got this underdog that everybody's pulling for like Zach Johnson. Now, Zach Johnson and his sponsors actually earned about $7.5 million worth of exposure, according to Julius and Associates, Joyce Julius and Associates. But, you know, it's an interesting story with Zach Johnson. When he first turned pro, I believe it was 1998, he didn't have enough money to go out. You know, you need money. If you're not winning money every week, prize money, you need money to compete in tournaments. He needed money. So there was a group of about 20 guys that were friends and family that bought shares of Zach Johnson, and they paid anywhere from two to $4,000 their shares now they weren't doing this as they were doing it more to help them out than they were about hey we're going to get rich but basically the first fifty thousand dollars that johnson earned he took that money and repaid the people that had invested in him well the contract stated that as soon as he made it big time on the pga tour and was regularly qualifying for tournaments that contract was null and void so they don't get any of this 1.3 million dollars that he got but it's a nice story that people believed in him and helped him out early in his career. Well, this happens a lot in individual sports like golf and tennis in that if you're not a top tier coming right out of college, you have to go out and get individual sponsors, whether they're local companies, family members, have to sponsor you on the tour. And this is exactly what happened and obviously a great success story. What we have to watch for now is our other major sponsors going to jump on board now that Zach Johnson's won a major. Again, I use Ben Curtis. He won the British Open, and he's fizzled since then, so I don't know if sponsors are going to be quick to jump on board with him just yet. Well, read my blog, sportsbusinessradio.com. We've got a few other thoughts on Zach Johnson and his big win at the Masters as it relates to his sponsors. Our next headline, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell this week announced that Titans cornerback Pac-Man Jones and Bengals wide receiver Chris Henry have been suspended without pay for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy and engaging in conduct detrimental to the league on numerous occasions. Jones has been suspended for all of the 2007 season, while Henry received an eight-game suspension. Jones is going to lose about $1.3 million, and Henry's going to lose about $230,000. Nathan, 
The commissioner showed he's not putting up with any guff, as my dad used to call it. And he's really, uh, I'm impressed by the commissioner so far during his tenure. This is fantastic. And other major league organizations, whether it's the NBA, Major League Baseball, need to take note here because players need to be held accountable for their off-court antics. And here is a perfect opportunity to show that. Right in your first year, Goodell, and you know what? Lots of money to be lost by those players. Tough lesson learned. Well, and there are some that suggested Katie Gold, who is a guest blogger on SportsBusinessRadio.com, suggested that, you know what, maybe they need to be even tougher by taking salary away. You know, if, if you say, okay, if you have one of your players and they get in trouble and there's a tiered system and they get in serious trouble, maybe we need to start taking salary cap money away from some of these teams. I don't know what it is, but one of the main reasons this deal got done, Nathan, as we discussed a few weeks ago, is because it had the full support of the NFL Players Association. There are many players around the league that, quite frankly, were embarrassed by the conduct of people like Pac-Man Jones and Chris Henry and the numerous arrests and the black eye of PR that it provided for the NFL, which is really America's number one league. Absolutely. If you're working for a company and stuff like this happens within your company, you don't want to work for a company like that. And the NFL is a business like we talk about all the time. So if you're a player, you want the NFL to be shed in a good light. And this is a fantastic move. Our next headline, CBS Radio and MSNBC fired longtime radio shock jock Don Imus this week, bowing to massive political and corporate pressure over racist and sexist slurs about the Rutgers University women's basketball team. The damage is done, and as we said in the opening segment, it's amazing to me two things. Number one, that a guy like Don Imus, who's been in front of a microphone for 40 years, doesn't know better that when he opens his mouth, you can't say things like this. Number two, and even more damaging in my opinion, is that people still think like this. As we said, this is the 60th anniversary this weekend of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier for the L.A. Dodgers. Things like this make me lose faith in humanity that have we really not come that far in the last 60 years. Well, not only that, but this is not the first time that Imus has been in trouble in terms of a racial reference in sports. A couple of years back, Serena Williams, one of the co-hosts of his show, made some choice racial comments about the Williams sisters. So this is the second time. So if you're one of those people that says, give him another chance, this is his other chance. Well, and the other thing, too, you know, this is a money show. This is a business show. CBS and MSNBC, yes, they ultimately dropped his show and, in essence, fired him, but they waited. They waited to see what the sponsor reaction was going to be. It almost makes you wonder if sponsors had stuck in there with Imus, would he have been fired? I think he should have been fired, no questions asked, and CBS and NBC really had to battle their internal staff as well because the internal staff, just like you just said about the NFL, they were embarrassed to work for a company that would employ someone like Don Imus who had the views that he had. I totally agree. Now, the racially charged uh, rape case against three Duke lacrosse players came to an end this past Wednesday, but this is really far from the last we're going to hear about this, Nathan. Durham District Attorney Mike Nifong, who led the prosecution case against three Duke students and Duke University who dropped the lacrosse program and saw professors sign petitions to have the students dismissed from the school, could face civil suits. You know what? If I was one of these three students, I would absolutely file a civil suit against Duke and against Mike Nifong. Nifong called them hooligans, so that's defamation of character. And then Duke University, there were 88 professors that signed a petition to have them removed from the university. What happened to being innocent until proven guilty? That was not the case here at Duke. In the worst case scenario, I file a civil suit just to cover my massive legal fees 
from the last year. Well, yeah, you're tried in the public court. And in this, in the case of these young gentlemen, they are going to have a hard time in the business world from here on out finding jobs because they're always going to be linked, whether they're guilty or not, with the people that are hiring them. So you have to feel bad for these students moving forward into their professional careers. Well, you know what this reminds me of? I was telling our producer, Bobby Corson, before the show, the Atlanta Olympic Park bombing. Richard Jewell, remember, he was the security guard who was incorrectly blamed for the bombing, and the media grilled him. He was arrested. Well, later, he filed a civil suit and won a lot of money because guess what? He didn't do it. Well, it's kind of the same thing here with this case. A lot of people jumped on the Duke University students, and in the end, they were innocent. Our next headline, Texas freshman Kevin Durant will enter the 2007 NBA draft. Sources tell me that Aaron Goodwin is going to be his agent. Goodwin was the agent for LeBron James when he came out. He also represents Dwight Howard. He's no longer LeBron's agent. Durant was college basketball's player of the year this past season. Could be the number one pick. Adidas and Nike are going to battle over Durant. Could reach a $50 million price tag. Read my blog. I've got a great entry that explains the shoe wars in full at sportsbusinessradio.com. Our next headline, Nathan, cold weather wreaked havoc on Major League Baseball. We saw the Indians and Angels have to move their series to Milwaukee because they couldn't play in Cleveland. About 19,000 people showed up for the three-game series. or That was the average attendance. They only had to pay $10 for a ticket, so that's kind of cool. But, Nathan, if I'm Major League Baseball, is it me? Why don't you start the season in the warm weather cities? Well, it just depends on where they're at. You just never know. With global warming now, we saw it on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. You don't know what's going to happen with snow and storms, so it's a total toss-up. And our last headline of the week, Dice K. Matsuzaka made his long-anticipated debut at Fenway Park, Nathan. 350 media people turned out to see Dice K face Ichiro. Ichiro. I love Ichiro, but this is no surprise. We've been talking about this for weeks. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about global sports. I'm going to be joined by G2 Strategic CEO Marshall Glickman for our monthly Glickman Global segment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. For an international outlook on the world of sports business, Sports Business Radio presents Glickman Global. My guest is Marshall Glickman. He's the CEO of G2 Strategic, and he's joining us for our regular Glickman Global segment once again this week. Marshall, thanks for joining us. Hey, Brian. Happy April. 
Happy April to you, too. So, Marshall, on our first Glickman Global segment in February, we talked about the differences between how professional leagues are structured in the U.S. and in Europe. But it's a complex subject, so I thought we'd go a little more in depth this month. For example, our listeners may not realize that the standard of how agents are paid in the U.S. and in Europe is completely different. Can you explain? Well, Brian, in the U.S., such as, for example, with the NBA, the club is prohibited from paying the agent's fee for negotiating a player contract. I suppose most people would assume that. But in Europe, it's just the opposite. In almost all cases, the club is paying 10% or even more sometimes on top of the salary. Wow. So for European clubs, whether it's basketball or soccer or team handball or volleyball, whatever it is, this is a big number as a part of their overall budget. And you have to remember that other than the really big European soccer clubs like FC Barcelona or Manchester United, European sports teams generally lose a great deal of money. So while agent fees are not the problem, it's indicative, I think, of the overall problem of how professional sports is structured in Europe and why the economic model just doesn't work. But, Marshall, American clubs lose lots of money, too. So what's the, what's the big difference? Well, Brian, badly managed American clubs lose money. In my view, well-managed clubs generally make money. And in either case, whether you make money on an operating basis or not, the value of sports franchises in the U.S. is rapidly appreciating. And that's not the same story in Europe. Marshall, remind our listeners why the economic situation is so different than in the United States. Well, there's many, many reasons we'd really need hours to cover it, and I know we have only minutes. But some examples are, in Europe, you wouldn't relocate, you really can't relocate a team from one city to another city. In Europe, poor performance on the court, or in the case of soccer, the pitch, can lead to relegation to a lower-level league. There's no salary cap. There's no draft. There's no system of any kind in place to encourage competitive balance and what I view as to be sane business practices. Television income is not equally shared. The league has no power to enforce their own rules. So as a result of those reasons and many more, there really isn't much of a market for buying and selling sports franchises. So as a result, the value of the clubs doesn't increase. What about Abramovich buying Chelsea and the Glazers buying Arsenal? Well, yes. Some of the big-name clubs in England, specifically England, have changed hands. That's an exception because those clubs have global markets and they operate in the U.K., where commerce is a high priority. Okay, back to the agent fees. Why do the clubs in Europe pay the agents while in the United States the players pay the agents? Well, in Europe, the standards are set by soccer, and the other sports just follow along. The win-at-all-cost perspective in Europe, Brian, has resulted in the wealthy clubs paying the agents directly as a way of attracting the best players. So unfortunately, this practice has carried over to the other 90% of the European soccer clubs that aren't wealthy at all, and to other sports 
like basketball. So now the European clubs really are boxed in. It's a situation that is very difficult to change. Marshall, why can't the leagues just change it? Because every club would have to go along with that kind of a policy change. And that would, of course, be strongly opposed by agents and players. So if only a few clubs went along with it, they would suffer a severe competitive disadvantage. So the problem you have in Europe is that the strongest clubs play in two two leagues, right? They play in the pan-European competition, such as the Champions League in soccer and EuroLeague in basketball. And they also play in their national league, such as the Premier League in English soccer or the ACB in Spanish basketball. So the pan-European and national leagues are run by different people who have different agendas. The pan-European leagues want to strengthen the strongest teams, whereas the national leagues want to protect the weakest teams. So it is very hard to stop paying agent fees in one league and not the other. And then, Brian, quickly, you really have a deeper problems. Deeper problem. Many clubs won't want to change it. That may sound counterintuitive, but Greek tycoons, Russian oligarchs, those people own teams for purposes of power and influence, not profits. The basketball clubs that are owned by soccer clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Panathinaikos in Greece, they will oppose any change on the basketball side for fear that they will face retribution from agents on the soccer side. So clubs that are only in it to win games and don't care about economics, they will not support any systematic change that limits their ability to spend. The problem is, of course, Brian, that this makes it very hard for the vast majority of clubs. Whereas in the U.S. leagues, we have all kinds of ways to regulate competitive balance. Salary caps, drafts, free agent rules, revenue sharing, luxury taxes. In Europe, there is none of that. My guest is Marshall Glickman. He's the CEO of G2 Strategic. You can learn more about him by going to g2strategic.net. Marshall, what's so wrong with the European system? Well, the vast majority of clubs, no matter what sport, are bleeding cash. In smaller markets, teams often receive direct public subsidy, just like the opera of the symphony. In almost all cases, some wealthy person or company is subsidizing the club. From the perspective of fans, the system results in the rich get richer year after year, and the outcomes are fairly predictable, and inevitably the poor stay poor. It's similar to the social and economic structures of most European countries. It's very hard to work your way up from a situation that you were born into. So my view is that the bleeding cannot continue indefinitely. Even some of the richest owners now are beginning to show signs of wanting to cut their losses. Marshall, what will break the system? When smart entrepreneurs with deep pockets start up and operate independent leagues, independent of the federations, independent of the institutions that are already in place, that they structure those leagues the right way and understand that they are in the entertainment business, 
that's when you'll begin to see change. The Europeans must come to understand, ultimately, the economics will win out. Like China, Europe has markets. So, ultimately, the money will go to where the markets are. And isn't China even better? No doubt about it. But there's not much historical baggage in China. There's lots of new spending power. There's huge populations. But last I checked, China is a communist country. So things can be expected to move slowly there. You probably noticed, Brian, that the NFL canceled next fall's preseason game in Beijing. So now the issue with China, and this would be a great subject for the future, is that the NBA is really what everybody's watching. And with the pending launch of NBA China and two preseason games next fall. So can the NBA apply its basic structure in China? You would think so, because the NBA is all about the collective interest having priority over the individual interests. And I would think that they would like that approach in China. Well, Marshall, it's always fascinating to catch up with you. Thanks for shedding some light into the global sports business market. Uh, You can learn more about Marshall by going to g2strategic.net. Marshall, we'll catch up with you again sometime soon. See you in May, Brian. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. Commissioner Stern, thanks for making time as always. Always a pleasure. You're in your 23rd year as the NBA Commissioner. You seem as energized today as you were a decade ago. What's the secret to maintaining a fresh perspective and always striving to improve? Actually, the NBA provides that fresh perspective in terms of its evolution. We're, we're uh, past the stage where our teams were rebuilding all of their buildings, where we were trying to stabilize and grow the sport, where we were worried about domestic TV, moving to cable, moving to satellite. And now we're busy with digital, globalization, the WNBA, the NBA Development League. So it seems to get new every day, yeah, maybe every hour. You've certainly seen so much change during your tenure. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation you had earlier this year. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? Well, what I learned is 
that it probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense, uh, that even if you're ultimately right or even if you're not right, I guess, uh, it pays to involve people and make them feel a part of the process because their very exclusion can cause them to take a negative view. Uh, and it's understandable. Commissioner Stern, is the NBA season too long? There's a lot of talk about you know, 82 games. It's been like that for a long time. But there's been talk about maybe shortening it to 60 games with playoffs. Has there ever been discussion in your office about that? Uh, you know, the economic realities, the business realities of such. I've, I, uh, you know, nobody who suggested has ever coupled with the suggestion that they would take uh, a 20% cut in pay. You're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm listening very carefully uh, for that. Uh, you know, we have 29 buildings. They have enormous gates, receipts, and club suites, club seats and suites. Uh, we have television arrangements and the like. And at this point, it would be more than a little bit difficult to start cutting back on those sort of events that are revenue-producing. Do you ever feel there's an oversaturation of the market? You're on so many places on TV and on the Internet. and Do you ever feel like there's oversaturation? You know, not as we move to this uh, new era. It used to be that you could collect viewers at a particular place and have event scheduling and programming and the like. Now our fans increasingly want to see it. You know, they want to go online and be able to get it right away. They right. want to turn it on and get it right away. So we made the judgment some years ago that appointment viewing was going to be uh, appointment with your television. And when they sat down, they wanted to see it. So we not only increased the load of our games available in prime time on our network partners, but actually launched our own network to do the same thing. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. Commissioner Stern, there's several different situations around the league I want to discuss. Let's start with Sacramento. Kings co-owner Gavin Maloof joined me on the show in November, told me he's exhausted plans A, B, C, and D, trying to figure out their situation in Sacramento. He said they called you in to help negotiate with Sacramento. Where does that situation stand? I don't think they called me in to negotiate with Sacramento. They just called me in to see if I could develop a plan F. Okay. Since they failed uh, through an A through E. And the answer is I hope to have some ideas to uh, – to sort of suggest to people before the start of the 07-08 season. And they're playing in Arco Arena, which I believe is the oldest arena in the NBA. Is that correct? Hmm. I'm guessing that the Meadowlands currently is the oldest arena, but I would guess that the Arco would come next after that. And uh, it clearly is not, in its current form, the arena of the future for Sacramento. So we have to try to find a way to have a new arena, uh, but way that, uh, you know, given the, the economic realities of California governmental referendum life, does not subject it to a public referendum. Another team looking for a new arena, the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, they've given themselves a self-imposed deadline of October 31st of this year to figure out financing for a new facility. Washington State taxpayers have spoken loud and clear that they don't want to fund a new arena. Where do you see this situation going? Actually, I think the people who spoke were the city of Seattle, not Washington State. At the current time, both Safeco and Quest Fields are uh, 
are funded by uh, tax dollars, and the proposal before the uh, government aid, the government uh, bodies in Olympia, Washington, is to refer to King County, back to King County, the decision about whether when those tax monies are no longer needed for Quest and Safeco, whether they can be allocated to a new basketball arena. We know that the session in Olympia ends in April. We know that the new ownership has an agreement in principle to purchase property in Renton, Washington, and we'll see where that goes. We think there are several hurdles here, but so far, so good. Let's talk about New Orleans for a moment. The team is scheduled to return to New Orleans for a full home schedule next year. New Orleans is scheduled to host the 2008 NBA All-Star Game. You know, you've been very vocal in your support for the city that was ravaged by Hurricane Katrina. You've also been somewhat critical, as have I, of the Bush administration for the lack of progress that's been made with the rebuilding efforts since the hurricane. The team had a tough time selling tickets and sponsorships before the hurricane. What do you see as the future, and what is the NBA going to do to continue to help this franchise when they return? Actually, we've been working with the team on the sponsorship side. Okay. I think it's fair to say that they will have more sponsorships this coming season than they had before Katrina. There have been a very successful response to the team and its efforts. The sales efforts on tickets have just begun. We get weekly reports, and so far, so good. So we, I think it's a little early to judge, but there are many, many corporations that are profitably, prof, profiting greatly by the rebuilding efforts in New Orleans, and we're hoping to persuade them that they should uh, contribute to the recovery uh, emotionally and culturally right. through support of the Hornets' return to New Orleans. Well, and I know your MBA CARES program has been very active in New Orleans. We've been doing a lot of building uh, in the Gulf Coast, uh, and I think that I think that it's suddenly uh, people are seeing rays of light with respect to the new person who's been brought in to oversee the rebuilding effort, making some difficult choices that no one wanted to make before. And my guess is that it will garner the right support from the governor and the federal government to uh, begin seeing more progress than we've seen today. The Portland Trailblazers. Paul Allen just reacquired the Rose Garden Arena. Good news for Blazer fans near and far. Did you have any role in uh, brokering that deal? Um, I would say we lent our physical space to uh, the parties to sit down and sit face-to-face. We did a little bit of shuttle diplomacy, uh, but... uh, uh, by and large, the party's got it done themselves. Last time I had you on this show, you said the situation in Portland with the Trailblazers was dire. I would assume that's changed now, correct? Big time. We're very, very happy with the outcome there. That's the way it should have happened, and we're very pleased that they've been able to work it out. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. Commissioner Stern, no U.S. professional league has a greater global presence than the NBA, thanks in large part to your forward thinking. One of the fastest-growing markets on the planet is China. The NBA has numerous TV contracts in the country, and NBA merchandise has sold more than 20,000 outlets. Are we going to soon see the day where we maybe see a five- or six-team NBA China league set up? Well, if there's an NBA China league, it's going to be more than five or six teams. Really? Uh, 
Uh, it would have to be with respect to an entire arena infrastructure. It would have to be in partnership with likely the CBA, which is the Chinese Basketball Association. And I guess all I would say there is that uh, stay tuned. I think we'll have some announcements about our overall China business in the next couple of weeks or a month. And we will have some more announcements to make coming out of the Beijing Olympics if the marketplace appears to be ripe. So we think that China is a is a market of enormous potential and promise. Well, and we've always talked when we talked before about Europe. You've talked about facilities and lack of facilities in China. It seems like they could get those facilities built rather quickly. Is that correct? They can, and uh, and there seems to be an inclination to devote land and resources to that, and a very promising development. Speaking of Europe, is that we're going to be playing an exhibition game in October in, in the O2 Arena, which has been built by the Anschutz Group in London, and it's really the first NBA-style arena that's going to be in the European marketplace. If you had to choose between Europe and China, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but where would you rather be? Well, as a business matter, I think. It's, it's not a question of a choice. It's a question of a ordering of priority, and I think we will do much more faster in China uh, first, but we will continue to address the European market as well, but not at the same pace or with the same resources. Speaking of expanding new horizons, last time you were on this show, you told us that Las Vegas would not be considered for a permanent NBA team as long as there was betting on NBA games allowed in Vegas casinos. Did I say that? You said that. And I've read since that time that maybe your stance has changed a little bit. And then I read Oscar Goodman's letter or an excerpt from his letter that was supposedly sent to you that said no games, not even those of a proposed local franchise, should be banned from state betting boards. What are your thoughts? Actually, I'm keeping my thoughts to myself until next uh, Friday when my NBA NBA Board of Governors convenes in New York City. And can you tell me what will be discussed or the scope of what will be discussed? Basically, you'll review the letter, correct? That's correct. And maybe discuss the future of Las Vegas? Yes. What were your impressions when you were there for the All-Star Game? What kind of a city, NBA city, do you think? I think it was a great host for an All-Star Game. It's a terrific All-Star city. Okay, something I've wanted to ask you about previously. The NBA hired Bush Cheney strategist Matt Dowd. As a consultant a while back, you probably remember that well. Why did uh, we? I, actually, I didn't. Okay, I the think, le- I think that in our research department, he conducted uh, a couple of focus groups for us, and he was not uh, he was not uh, in, engaged or consulted with respect to anything having to do with our strategy. So his role as an NBA consultant was greatly exaggerated, mostly by him. Really. Interesting. Well, I've read he's uh, changed some of his views lately, his political views, so I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. I read the New York I don't Times accept. Article. I don't accept his uh, apology. Really? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> okay. Hey, the last question for you. You're a socially responsible guy. Uh, we just talked about NBA Cares, Basketball Without Borders programs. You're doing wonderful things around the globe. In your personal opinion, though, give me one global issue that we're not paying enough attention to. Well, I think that, that that one, well, it's two. It's, it, it is global warming, but in a broader context, it's the degradation of the planet so that by the destruction of uh, wildlife and uh, trees and uh, habitat, 
we're unleashing forces that, that we then run around trying to correct by vaccines and the like. And it just seems that we've set in motion a chain of events that unless governments get together, uh, it's going to be irreversible. And I think that the current attention on global warming is a very good first step that indicates that people understand that we have a serious problem on our hands. What else can we look for from uh, NBA Cares and Basketball Without Borders in the future? Well, we're heading back to Shanghai. We're going to Brazil. We're going to South Africa. We, we think that the combination of basketball and social responsibility, uh, community messages using the power of our players is just extraordinary. And you're going to see more and more of that on a global scale, but including in the U.S., where we have some very serious social issues, and the NBA is going to be working on that as well. Well, that's tremendous. Uh, yeah, you, all you have to do is look at this week's headlines, and uh, you can see that we do have some serious social issues. Wow. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Commissioner Stern, as always, it's a pleasure catching up with you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James's highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office, saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Fantastic interview with Commissioner David Stern. As always, great to catch up with him. You know, Nathan, I was really interested in what he had to say about New Orleans. Uh, We've talked a lot on this show about how can the Hornets go back to Hurricane Katrina ravaged New Orleans, but it sounds like the league has gotten involved with helping the team secure sponsorships and even sell some tickets. What struck you most about what the commissioner had to say? Well, as of recent, we've been talking about China in all different realms of sports, and David Stern, he alluded to the fact that There's a future in China for the NBA, especially with the Olympics right around the corner. So he said in a couple weeks he was going to unveil some new stuff. I'll be interested to hear what that is. Yeah, my guess is it's going to be a league of some sort. They've already got numerous TV contracts there. They've been doing a lot of business there. They have corporate offices set up in China. So now we might even see a CEO of NBA China named and then maybe a league. It'll be interesting to watch. Speaking of China, our producer Bobby Corser caught up with the foremost NBA expert on China, Houston Rockets center Yao Ming. Uh, basketball game is a very popular sport in China. I have a long history. Uh, you know, my parents tell me, like, <laughs> when they play, they play basketball before. Sometimes they play a game, they put it in the stadium, like like a college NCAA finals. They did, you know, play in the college, and you know, at man, man, they put a basketball court on there, have maybe 18,000, 30,000 30, people watching. Even people are sitting on top, you know. 
cannot very clear to learn. I mean, watch again, but it's still watching. Right now, it's the sports is turning to professional, more professional. You know, people, players, the training, and uh, and uh, you know, team running is more more professional. I think, and uh, marketing everything <coughs> is is learn. We learn a lot from NBA, from Europe, from any you know uh, sports marketing. Very interesting comments from Yao Ming. On next week's show, I'm hoping to catch up with the president of Global Operations for Dale Earnhardt, Inc., Max Siegel. This will be an interesting conversation that you will not want to miss. If you've been following this at all, Teresa Earnhardt, the stepmother of Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Dale Earnhardt Jr. have been in contract negotiations. And at times it's gotten emotional. It's gotten a little bit ugly. But, uh... Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s contract expires with DEI at the end of this season. They're trying to get something done. Max Siegel is trying to broker that deal. I can't wait to hopefully catch up with him. Lots of thank yous on this week's show. NBA Commissioner David Stern, G2 Strategic CEO Marshall Glickman, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Plank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Katie Gold, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. Nike Golf, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week. We'll see you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.